0: Today, we are in the third Sunday of our Bend, Don't Break sermon series, where we're talking about flexibility and resilience in a time of crisis. We've explored the need for us to bend as individuals and as a community of faith, finding that oftentimes when we are able to adapt and flex more than we could have asked for or imagined takes place in our lives. I've thought about our sermon series almost like a posture, like a stance. We are saying, I may bend, but I won't break because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. But today we are going to complicate or nuance or twist that message a little bit to look at it from a different angle. Last year, around October, my partner Mark and I went to the infamous Cracker Barrel one evening for dinner. By evening, I mean that it was 4.45. I love everything about Cracker Barrel, especially as we approach the holidays. The brown tiled floors, the wood-burning fireplace, the checkerboards, the lanterns on the table, the rocking chairs, the old-timers breakfast, like that's literally what it's called. I'm not making fun of people. And of course, that shop that you can never seem to escape without buying something. So when we finished eating, we were looking around, and we saw this amazing Santa Claus tree topper. Santa was sitting in a plane, and there was a little message behind it that said, Merry Christmas, and he continued to fly around the top of the tree. Our son, Lewis was 18 months old at the time, so we thought, we've got to buy that. He will love it. I looked at the table next to the tree and couldn't find it, so I started digging underneath the table and still couldn't find it, so Mark went to the car while I went to find someone to help us out. This sweet teenager came over and double-checked the table for me, then he actually got down on his hands and knees and started crawling underneath it. Sure enough, He moved something too fast and knocked into the table and everything that they pile up on those tables started to tumble to the ground. I'm talking ornaments, picture frames, figurines, everything broke. I looked at him and I said, I don't think we want that Santa anymore. (laughs) I'm kidding. I didn't say that. He looked at me and said, well, let me go see if we have one in the back. Today we are going to acknowledge that even though we want to bend and not break, there are times when everything falls off the table and shatters. There are times when we feel broken beyond repair. There are times when we are holding the fragments of our hearts unsure if they will ever be put back together and we will ever feel whole again. Today, this is where we find Job, this man of great faith, is lying on the ground, literally, and his life is shattered. His livestock, his servants, his children have been killed. His body is covered with loathsome sores. And the text says that his three friends heard of his trouble and met up together to come and console and comfort him. And as they were in eyesight of him, they couldn't even recognize him because of the pain he was in. They raised their voices and they wept aloud. They tore their robes and they threw dust in the air. These were all conventional ways to express distress and mourning. And when they got to him... They got on the ground with him, and for seven days and seven nights, no one spoke a word. Now, up until this point in the text, Job has yet to give up on God. He has refused to be completely broken. His wife has even provoked him, saying, forget your integrity, curse God, and die. But Job has replied to her in chapter 2, if we receive good at the hand of God, we have to receive the bad. Yet what happens in this scene and the ones to come is of pivotal importance. Now, in terms of literary style, the narrative of chapters 1 and 2 is called a prose tale. This tale would have created the reader for the expectation that Job would speak one final time, his conflict would be resolved, and we would just move on to the happy ending. But... That's not the way that Job speaks in chapter 3. The way in which he speaks confounds that narrative expectation and it tells the reader that immediate resolution of his problems is impossible. What we see is that in their silence, Job's friends present a contrast to Job's wife. And it is actually the space created by their silent presence that allows Job to to understand how he truly feels his feelings lead him to an outburst and it is the outburst that will lead to his ultimate healing and so the story of job has much to teach us we cannot gloss over our pain and rush to a happy ending where our true feelings are never addressed we cannot cover the loathsome sores on our hearts and our bodies with band-aids expecting healing where we have placed a couple of patches. We must learn to embrace the silence that teaches us where it hurts. And we have permission, even as people of great faith, to be on the ground when life shatters around us, to be silent, to shut down, to weep, and yes, to even have an outburst at God. We're not going to look at the entire book today, but what follows this silence is very important. The literary style shifts, and chapter upon chapter, we hear these deep theological questions being raised through poetic dialogue. Job is mad, and he is heartbroken, and all of his suffering has called him to challenge his beliefs. For example, we see that his, for his friends, suffering is the occasion for moral and religious self-examination. God must be trying to test you or teach you, so you need to pay attention. But Job takes a different stance. Rather than turning to this inward self-examination, Job demands an explanation from God. Job doesn't know what he did to deserve this because his prior theology was the same as the friends. If you're good, you receive good, and if you're bad, you will be punished. Job knew that he was good and he wanted answers. In other words, what we see is that Job's friends argue from the tradition of their uh, time, while Job grounds his understanding in his new experience of suffering. And so Job gives us permission to re-examine our theology in light of our suffering and even to test the methods by which we make theological claims. Job and his friends present two different ways of grounding knowledge. I believe as Christians, we have to get more comfortable with this. We have to get more comfortable with this process of sanctification, believing that we are growing and maturing as disciples who allow for questions and see particularities instead of accepting generalizations and simple platitudes about our faith. We have got to get comfortable defining and then redefining what is truth. Over our lifetimes, as we are informed by experiences of suffering, Job gives us permission to change our minds about what we believe. In other words, brokenness is an opportunity for theological reevaluation. But most important for us today is the place we are in in the text. It is the silence that Job is sitting in, and it is the model Job's friends present. There is a time to mourn with those who mourn, and there is a time for theological dialogue. Our very first response is to see another suffering, to weep aloud and tear our clothes and join them on the ground and hold vigil with them, not saying a word. It is actually our silent presence that allows the one who is suffering to make their own conclusions instead of hearing our commentary. Some of you may know this, but the most frequent type of psalm in Scripture is the individual lament. Most of the time, these laments take a turn to a profession of trust and confidence in God and a promise to praise God or to offer a sacrifice But in the Psalms, there are also communal laments. And what I find very interesting about these communal laments is that they are less likely to turn from a lament to praise. The lament literally just lingers in the air. There is no happy ending. For example, listen to the end of Psalm 44. Rouse yourself. Why do you sleep, God? Awake. Do not cast us off. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget the afflicted and the oppressed? We sink down to the dust. Our bodies are on the ground. Rise up and come to our help. I think it's kind of awkward and uncomfortable to end with no resolve. I find it true for myself and for many of us that to be that raw is unsettling. It is uncomfortable to be broken. So instead, we act like things are fine. We compartmentalize our pain, shove it away into the recesses of our minds, hoping that it will never come up again, but it does. We numb out. We distract ourselves. We buy things. There's a reason that it's called retail therapy. And right now in the midst of COVID, I think there is more heartache than ever before because our world has stopped running at such an incredibly fast pace. Everything has slowed down long enough for us to see the broken pieces of our hearts and our homes and our world. So today I am wondering who just needs to sit in pain and be broken. Who needs permission to be exactly where you are without moving on to hope? Who needs silence to lament? I'm going to give you that permission, and I'm going to give you that silence. I'm going to invite you to practice that with me right now. One of the most well-known lament psalms starts with, How long, O Lord? So, I will invite you to close your eyes. I will say, How long, O Lord? And then I will leave silence for you to fill in the blank. Maybe you want to say that pain out loud. Maybe you want to write it in the comments to share uh, with your faith community. But let's take a moment to be silent and to offer our laments to God. Let us pray. How long, O Lord? 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 Some of us today need to stay in this place of lament shed your tears, allow the Holy Spirit to intercede on your behalf. But today, I am going to take the turn to hope for us. Last Saturday, Mark, Lewis, and I went on a hike at Percy Warner Park. We did the two-and-a-half-mile loop called the Warner Woods Trail. When we hike now, we have a backpack that we carry our son, Lewis, in, who's about two years old, He's really about 35 pounds now, and the pack itself is 10 to 15 pounds, so it's heavy and it's hard, but it's a fun challenge, and he loves to be in it. This particular Saturday, half of Nashville was also at Percy Warner Park, so we had to park pretty far away from the trailhead. I used that walk from the car to the beginning of the trail to adjust the backpack on my body. There's this whole period of time in which I have to tighten and loosen the straps, make sure that he's not pulling my lower back and that it's positioned right on my hips. At first it truly is painful, but after a while of walking in, it's as if he sort of becomes a part of me and I ignore the pain and everything just becomes light and fun. Now when we got to the trail, the steepest part is what we come to within the first five minutes. So we're climbing this steep incline and about halfway up, this man comes by with his walking sticks and he says to me, you got it, mama. It's hard even without the extra weight. And when he made his way to the top, he sort of turned his head and he said, you're almost there. As we reached the top breathing hard, Lewis said, I did it. And I was like, child, I did it. But we celebrated together. We walked slowly as the trail leveled out under the beautiful trees. We stopped for some water. He spent time touching trees and singing songs, and we enjoyed being together as a family. What I've learned is that the journey of healing looks a lot like this. When you've experienced the deepest, most hopeless place, unsure if you can go on, there is an adjustment period you have to endure. If you can hold on, the weight you're carrying doesn't necessarily leave you, it becomes a part of you. And over time, it doesn't hurt as bad, and one day you even find joy again. So if you are in the middle of a dark night right now, if you are face down on the ground, put one foot in front of the other. You are not hidden or forgotten or hopeless. You are not broken beyond repair or defenseless. God will come to your rescue. God will send an army of people to surround you, silently giving you strength or audibly saying to you, you got it. Life is hard even without the extra weight. You're almost there. Thanks be to God. Amen.